of Trump supporters started walking down on either side of this gathering. Then one of them walked into the middle of the gathering in front of the Black Lives Matter sign out in front of this church, which is set up against a statue of Martin Luther, the famous Protestant, um, you know, uh, founder of, of many of Protestantism, as it were. And this Trump supporter then pretended to fall down, and one of his companions walked over and put his knee on his neck in a an attempt to mock and to mimic the killing of George Floyd by police last year in front of all of these clergy who looked on in this disgust. And then that pair left the gathering and walked over to the church across the street, ran up the steps of that church, which were being filmed by local news crews, and then repeated that display. Jack Jenkins is a national reporter for the Religion News Service. He is describing a scene at a historic church in downtown Washington, D.C. on the morning of January 6th, not long before President Trump incited supporters to storm the United States Capitol. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. Stand up and fight. Let's have trial by combat. This week, we begin with a developing story, a domestic terror attack on the United States Capitol, incited by a sitting president and the contrasting responses of faith leaders, reflecting both the diversity and the deep divisions that run through this nation. Jack and I spoke on the morning of January 7th. It was just a few hours after Congress certified the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, marking the last procedural step before the January 20th inauguration. On the morning of June 6th, Jack was covering progressive religious leaders who had gathered in front of the historic National City Christian Church in Thomas Circle. They were there to unfurl Black Lives Matter banners, and several news stations were present to cover the event. It was a show of solidarity after the desecration of historically black churches in December. But that morning, clergy stood in shock as two members of the Proud Boys dressed in army surplus gear ran up the steps, standing under the banner, as if performing a skit and began to mock the murder of George Floyd. A local Lutheran bishop told me that it it deeply unsettled her and um, that she was still trying to figure out how to process it when she was speaking with me um, and how she saw it as deeply offensive to her as a person of color and also just as a a Christian. Um, And you saw that in the eyes of many of the other clergy who were gathered there as well, who also voiced to me, you know, just disgust with what they saw. This demonstration I'm discussing was one of the larger um, physical demonstrations of clergy in D.C., and it seemed that faith leaders were more hesitant to directly encounter them. Traditionally, clergy have occupied that role of positioning themselves between counter demonstrators and kind of Trump supporters or Proud Boys or what have you, or police in some instances. And that was very different this go round. And I think there's a lot of subtext for that. In December, Proud Boys attacked black churches. They are one of the groups responsible for inciting violence, and one President Trump has not only refused to condemn, but has praised. Clergy were not engaging this week. Instead, police stood at the behest of the faith leaders to protect their houses of worship. And that was for a reason. Trump 
supporting extremists had not shown, you know, relatively any restraint with regard to what they could do to people. And I think that says a lot about how unsafe a lot of people in the District of Columbia feel regarding these demonstrators and, quite frankly, clergy in particular, because their churches and their houses of worship have been targeted. At the time of this taping, the District of Columbia remains under a curfew, and President Trump continues as commander-in-chief after calling his supporters to charge the Capitol, which they then seized for more than four hours. It was a failed attempt to pervert the democratic process of transitioning power to the next administration. One thing was abundantly clear, the notable absence of force used on the predominantly white protesters who had been violent in December. In contrast to the summer protests, the difference is night and day. Jack remembers the flashbangs. I remember last summer when uh, we had racial justice demonstrations here in D.C., and um, the response was so intense that, you know, people you know, all night long after the clearing of Lafayette Square, you know, we could hear military helicopters hovering above the city. We could hear flashbang grenades going off from, you know, uh, on the other side of the city because of how many were being used against demonstrators. Jack is quick to note, though, that the mayor of Washington, D.C., earlier this week requested National Guard support from the Trump administration. Those requests were denied. There was also a silence from religious leaders in Trump's inner circle. As of the morning of January 7th, when we spoke, Jack had not seen a critical mass rebuking and condemning the storming of the Capitol as a terror attack. And I mean, you have to understand, there was this thing called the Jericho March, which was this gathering of primarily conservative Christians who processed around the Capitol and blew shofars um, in this imitation of the biblical story of besieging, of the walls coming tumbling down, I guess metaphorically in this instance. You know, the night before all of this, you had um, one self-identified pastor praying for the Proud Boys. Proud Boys showed up yesterday at the Capitol. Reportedly, people there referred to them as God's warriors. When these people stormed the Capitol yesterday, there was footage of people on the Senate floor holding what's often referred to as the Christian flag, a white flag with a cross in the corner. And as all this occurred, there was a giant banner right near the Capitol that read Jesus 2020 and some people holding signs that said, Jesus saves. I I say all that to make sure that we highlight the fact that some of the people who were there seemed to be a part of the broader evangelical Christian movement or a part of this Christian nationalist identity movement. And so I think it puts some of these uh, these evangelical leaders in an interesting position where, you know, arguably some of these people were listening to them when, misinform- when misinformation was already being spread. And they clearly were listening to the president when he spread baseless allegations of election fraud and voter fraud. So I haven't heard a swift condemnation from evangelical leaders about this. Um, and I'm curious what it will look like moving forward. Several denominations and religious traditions have spoken out and issued statements The Religion News Service is continually updating the list. But what is notable is that pastors from Trump's inner circle, including Franklin Graham, have echoed false allegations and conspiracy theories that Antifa was in fact responsible. I had some evangelical leaders um, early on in conversation saying that they were hearing this theory. And again, conservative lawmaker from West Virginia, like live streamed himself raiding the Capitol, right? Like this is, unless he's a secret Antifa false flag, like these are completely baseless allegations, but they were already hearing them. If you go down into these, you know, more 
Christian nationalist circles in evangelicalism, um, you will find evidence that people will say, oh, this, this might have been a false flag operation. Even though these people did it on camera and that their identities are very unverifiable and many stories have been written about some of the people who raided the Capitol, you know, this misinformation seems to be a thing that spreads very quickly. By the evening last night, it was already showing up on Fox News. In contrast, a group of diverse religious leaders gathered for a Zoom prayer session. Within seven minutes, the call was full. We attended and heard different themes from diverse religious leaders from across the country. The call was organized by Faith 2020 in coordination with the Biden transition team. Jack suggests this will be the first of many events, anticipating the Biden-Harris administration will turn often to progressive and mainstream faith community leaders to play a greater role in the days to come. I do think faith is going to play a significant role in that, um, because I think Biden and his administration and now many of his prominent supporters see faith as a unifying force. I also don't want this to get lost. Um, The peculiar and complex nature of faith. You know, like I said, there were people who were, you know, raiding the Capitol yesterday, people who were called God's warriors and carried Christian flags. But in the Capitol, while that was occurring, um, we now have reports that the House chaplain, the newly named House chaplain, uh, a Presbyterian minister, uh, she went to the microphone and led the House chamber in prayer as demonstrators were raiding there. And then up in the balcony, um, we have video evidence of one. Uh, House member leading her fellow House members in prayer as well. And I think it's important to kind of remember that, like, faith has a lot of complexity and that it continues to persist um, even around these moments where one group might claim it as their own. I think that that power that faith seems to have in those troublesome and harrowing moments is precisely what Biden, I think, is going to want to speak to, to try to appeal to that unifying nature of faith. Whether he'll be able to pull that off is anybody's guess, but I think that's the goal for his administration. One person who is focused on healing is Valerie Cower. She is a spiritual activist rooted in the Sikh tradition. Here she is on the prayer call, sharing her feelings and reflections and inviting others to join her in her call for a people's inauguration. The beloved community belongs to divine oneness and so does all that it achieves. My husband's brother, Manu, was in lockdown today in his office in the Capitol building, reporting there behind locked doors for CNN. Manu's voice as we were listening to it on the screen was calm and collected. We were not. My husband and I were on the phone with his parents and his wife and our whole family, holding each other, getting each other through this, through our tears. My hands have been shaking. I have been sobbing. Manu has just been evacuated to a secure location. He's not home yet, but we hope he'll be home soon to return to his children. And I'm just now feeling breath return to my body. And as I'm being aware of what my body is carrying, I'm noticing this hot rage inside of me. This is not the murderous rage, the vengeful rage that we saw in the Capitol. This is the rage of a woman of color who has seen her family in harm's way 
again and again and again for the last 20 years. It's a familiar rage. It's the kind of rage we might feel, you might feel now, in the face of cruelty, violence, injustice, assaults on our safety. And my loves, if you feel rage tonight, I'm here to tell you as a person of faith, if you need to scream or cry or wail, it's okay. You see, I call that divine rage. Divine rage. It's the rage that flashed in the eyes of Jesus when he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. Divine rage. It's the rage of Kali, the Hindu goddess who battles demons in order to protect us. Divine rage. It's the rage flashing in the eyes of Guru Gobind Singh Ji, my Sikh guru who challenged empire. The aim of divine rage is not vengeance, but to reorder the world. So our task, our task is to make sure that this energy of rage that we feel inside of us does not explode. We cannot become what we are fighting against. No, our task is to harness it and to channel that energy into creative nonviolent action to do as Audre Lorde, black womanist, calls us to do, to dance with our rage, to focus it with precision and power. And I'm asking you now to focus your attention on January 20th. Government is necessary, but it is not sufficient to heal and rebuild our nation. We saw that today. What we need is a people's inauguration. We, the people, need to be inaugurated into the labor of healing and transitioning and rebuilding and rebirthing this nation block by block, heart to heart, for we are entering an era of transition. Over the next 25 years, will we continue to teeter on the brink of civil war as we saw today? Or will we finally begin to birth the America that we dream? the multiracial democracy that our ancestors labored for. That is our work. That is the work of our lifetime. Will we carry America across this threshold or not? To do this, it requires us to be brave with our grief, to harness our rage, to lead with love above all and to summon all the bravery and the wisdom we can. And so I leave you with the wisdom of the midwife, for this will be one long labor. Let's breathe tonight, my loves. Breathe. Tomorrow we push. Vaikurujika Khalsa, Vaikurujiki Fateh. A prayer from Valerie Cower, a 39-year-old faith-based activist and civil rights attorney based in California. And Jack Jenkins, national reporter for the Religion News Service. Coming up, we shift from Washington, D.C. to Post Falls, Idaho. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. 
I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show.